to us in song. 1 Samuel chapter 19, 1 Samuel chapter number 19. I think that we've all been blessed in some way with friends. There is something about a good friend or a good friendship. Some of us have uh, maybe more uh, friends than others. Some of us maybe are a little bit more on the social side than others. But in a world in which there is a loneliness epidemic, which has been exacerbated by the, the COVID the pandemic and the lockdowns and, and all of that, in, in the midst of a loneliness epidemic, it is a, a blessing to have good, godly friendships. And I know through my life, it has been uh, a real joy. It has been an encouragement to me. And in many ways, my friends have helped me in my walk with the Lord. They have encouraged me in so many different ways. And uh, some are the types of people that you, you pick up your phone and you call. Uh, obviously, our, our best friend should be our spouse. So it is a joy to come home to uh, a, a spouse who is our best friend. And we can share uh, with one another and go through the, the ups and the downs and the highs and the lows together. And what a joy and a privilege that is. Uh, there's uh, friendships as our children get older. My dad told me when I was a, a kid, he said, my goal is to be your friend, but right now I'm not your friend. He said, I will be your friend later. Maybe. <laughs> I will be your, if you do right, if you do right. <laughs> I, I'll be your friend later. But right now I'm your dad. And uh, I'm thankful for a time when we had a friendship as uh, I got older and, and uh, got into adult years. And uh, I, was, I was blessed uh, to have a friendship with, with my dad until the Lord uh, took him to glory in 2008. But there's friends that um, even just the other day, I was sitting outside the eye surgeon's office and a friend of mine from college, he, he, he texted me and he started off with something about basketball and then he went on to some other thing, and we ended up calling and uh, talking for like three hours. Kelly comes out of the doctor's office, and she said, I knew you'd still be talking to him. <laughs> and we don't talk that often now because we're separated by hundreds of miles, but when we do talk, sometimes it's, it's two or three hours. But friendships, and we're, we're social beings. Uh, no matter what we try to do, we need each other. And uh, we're, we're social in the fact that's one of the ways we're made in the image of God. And social media is an evidence of that need for relationships. Now, social media doesn't replace real relationships. That's one of the dangers with social media. There's all kinds of things we could say about it. But it does speak to the fact that we need relationships. We want relationships. And that's, again, one of the unique things about Christianity is our God desires to have a personal relationship with us. And obviously that must be through his son, Jesus Christ. But we are a relational people. And again, some of us are more relational than others. But none of us as believers are called to put our heads in the sand or to dig a cave somewhere and bury ourselves deep and never see anybody again. And some of us, uh, some people who are a little more introverted, who are less in, in, into uh, 
the social scene and, and people, uh, they would love to go to a cave or to a cubicle somewhere and, and, and only deal with screens and, and never see people again. But really, uh, no matter where we're at on the, the, the social spectrum, we all need relationships. It's part of how God made us. It's part of what God wants us to have. Now, we had a new phenomenon with social media, and you could get hundreds and even thousands of friends on things like Facebook or followers on Instagram. And there's people who pop up on Facebook that you didn't even remember still existed. And uh, then next thing you know, you've accepted them as a friend. And then there's this defriending as you shorten up your friend list on Facebook. And I mean, we could go on and on with the ways in which we are relational. But the, the point is, we need good, godly friendships. And I, I heard a professor say years ago, and it's been so true, and then in my own life, the, the older we get, the things that influence us the most, he, he said two things that influence us the most, the books we read, starting with the Bible, and the friends that we make. And we know 1 Corinthians 14 says evil communications corrupt good manners. So we know that choosing friends is important. And I have seen good people get turned aside by the wrong kinds of friends. But let's look at in 1 Samuel, and we'll go back to verse, or excuse me, to chapter 18 of 1 Samuel. We're going to uh, go back just a chapter from our scripture reading, and go to 1 Samuel chapter number 18. And I want us to see six characteristics of friendship from the life or the lives of Jonathan and David, from their friendship. First of all, love. Love. 1 Samuel 18 and verse number 1. And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Chapter 20 and verse number 17. And Jonathan caused David to swear again because he loved him. For he loved him as he loved his own soul. 2 Samuel chapter number 1 and verse 26. 2 Samuel 1 and verse 26. I am distressed for thee, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant hast thou been unto me, thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. I know that seems to be a little bit of an odd phrase. It's just simply saying that there was a bond that they had that was even more unique than a relationship that a man could have with a woman, with, with his wife. Uh, again, this is not in any way, shape, or form an LGBT passage as some of the LGBT community have tried to use to say that the Bible endorses homosexuality. In no way, shape, or form does this verse refer to homosexuality. It's just simply saying in a unique way, there was this bond between David and Jonathan that was even more unique or special than even David's uh, relationship with uh, women. And with him, he had many wives. He was a polygamist. And Jonathan and David had a covenant relationship, and there was a love between them. And we need to have a love for one another. As we're commanded in Scripture, we're to love our neighbors, and it means we even have to love our enemies. 
We're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. And again, we're already in love with ourselves. We already love ourselves very, very much. And it takes a choice, an agape love. And the Greek language has phileo as that brotherly family love. And there are at least three words in the Greek language, eros being another uh, an emotional or neurotic kind of love. But we need to have an agape love for one another. We need to have a phileo love for one another. And we see that in David and Jonathan. And think about it, with David and Jonathan, here is Jonathan who was by blood in most monarchies, he was going to be the next king. Saul had forfeited that. Saul had forfeited the kingdom because of his sin, because of his disobedience. Offering sacrifice before Samuel got there, as it was only Samuel's responsibility to offer the sacrifice. And Saul, in his arrogance, went ahead of God. And then Saul also did not completely destroy the Amalekites, as he should have. And he left Agag, and he left the, the sheep and the, the oxen, the best of the, the animals there, of the Amalekites, and said, Oh, but I'm going to offer them as a sacrifice unto the Lord. And we know that passage well, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. The kingdom was taken from Saul, but Jonathan, by blood, according to most monarchies, Jonathan would have been the rightful heir to the throne. But he wasn't going to be the king. But Jonathan still loved David. He could have been bitter against David. He could have been angry against David. He could have been angry at God. Jonathan could have turned on David like his father did and joined his father in the persecution of David. But Jonathan did not do that. He chose to love David. He chose to protect, and we'll see some of the other qualities of their friendship. But it was all done out of a love for David. And Jonathan and David had a love for God that built their relationship with each other. And because they both feared God, because they both loved God, because, because they both desired to obey God, they were able to come together in a loving relationship, in a friendship that was incredible. But it began with this love for one another. And then we see also that there was a loyalty between the two. 1 Samuel 18, going back to 1 Samuel 18, in verse number 3, Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. We see covenant there. And they were promising each other they would take care of each other's relatives. They would take care of each other's descendants. Should one of them pass away before the other, they promised each other that they would care for their descendants. And we know that David would eventually do that with Mephibosheth, because Jonathan would die on the battlefield with his father Saul. We see in 1 Samuel 20, in verse 16, we see, so Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemies. And Jonathan caused David to swear again because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. We see the loyalty there again in that covenant relationship. Chapter 23 in verse number 18, and they too made a covenant before the Lord, and David abode in the wood, and Jonathan went to his house. And then we could go on to Second Samuel 4 
in 2 Samuel 9, where David takes care of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was injured as an infant and was lame. And David is uh, now the king, and he remembers that covenant with his friend Jonathan. And he basically takes Mephibosheth from poverty and puts him at the king's table and takes care of Mephibosheth for the rest of his life. And it's such a beautiful picture of friendship and of loyalty and how David kept that covenant with his friend Jonathan and how much we need relationships, we need friendships where there is love for one another, a genuine love, even sometimes a love that hurts, a love that is faithful. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, iron sharpening iron, loving enough to sometimes confront us, but also loving enough to encourage us and to be there for us and to listen. Sometimes as a friend, the greatest thing we can do is just be quiet and listen. Sometimes people just need to unload a burden and to help carry that burden. Yes, we pray for them, but we also hear them. We let them kind of unload, kind of pass that burden on in a sense so that we can carry that burden together. And then that loyalty. I know from dealing with students and trying to help my children in choosing good friends, loyalty can be a big component when it comes to friendships. If someone is a gossip and a backbite, someone who is constantly going behind your back and sharing rumors and evil reports, someone who can't be trusted with the truth. Now, a good loyal friend is not someone who is always covering your bases because you're constantly trying to get away with stuff that you would get in trouble for, but you need this confederate who can come alongside and kind of cover your tracks and be the lookout so you can go and do the bad things and you can kind of get away with it. That's not the kind of loyalty we're talking about here. I've dealt with so many students through the years. Well, I didn't want to be a snitch. Okay, I understand. You don't want to be a rat. There's a difference between raising your hand and saying, so-and-so didn't bring their red pen to school today. So-and-so didn't have their textbook in school today. Ooh, that just make make those kids so upset, right? There's a difference between that and somebody who's got a knife in the locker or they are undermining the authority, disobeying in some blatant way or committing some sort of immoral act. I don't want to be a rat. I don't want to be a snitch. Well, you're looking out for their spiritual well-being and the loyalty to God means as a loyal friend, you actually will confront them about that particular sin, but also you may have to tell an authority. I would have to help young people with that. There is a time and a place where you do speak up and you do say something to the proper authority because that could harm them, it could harm you, it could harm the school, it could harm the ministry. And there are times where we have to do that as believers. Our loyalty to God, our obedience to God requires us to speak the truth in love. But they had a covenant, and that covenant was made between the two of them, again, because they had a covenant with God first. They had a love for God first. And that bond made their relationship, in a sense, it made it a threesome. God at the center, at the top, and then David and Jonathan horizontally. And again, I speak to uh, our marriages. 
and how as we draw closer to the Lord, it's amazing how God draws us closer together. I draw that triangle in premarital counseling. I've done it several times. And I hold that, that, pic, that picture up. I hold that paper up and I show them how if we draw closer to the Lord, if we are increasing in our knowledge of God, then it's amazing how God knits our hearts together. And it's a beautiful thing when God does that because our eyes are both focused on him. We go through the trials. We go through the struggles. We're loyal to God, and that loyalty to God brings a bond and a loyalty to each other. And no greater relationship on this side of heaven is that of a husband and a wife and the loyalty, the covenant relationship that they have with each other. But then we see a third quality of their friendship, and that is sacrifice. Sacrifice. 1 Samuel 18, 1 Samuel 18, in verse number 4. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. Chapter 20 in verse number four. Then said Jonathan unto David, whatsoever thy soul desireth, I will even do it for thee. And then Second Samuel 4 and 9, again, Mephibosheth, David sacrifices from the very kingly offerings and the kingly goods and gave those to a descendant of Jonathan, a man who was impoverished and David made him a part of the king's table. We see sacrifice. How often in, re in relationships and friendships do we have to sacrifice for one another? How often do we need to get the nose out from the front of our face and look beyond it to see the needs of others. And so often in friendships, in good quality, godly relationships, in good quality, godly friendships, do we find that the sacrifices for one another are mutual? Because we're both looking out for what is best, what is good, what is right, what is honoring God in our relationship with each other. Again, I've said it here and I'll keep saying it, but in the married relationship, and again, I've done it in premarital counseling several times. I've told this couple that's getting ready to get married, your relationship is 100-0-99-1, and on your worst day, it's still 95-5. And you're giving the 100, you're giving the 99, and you're giving the 95. And sometimes, sitting across from my desk, they would look at me, and their eyes would get really big. And it's the truth. We have to be giving in our married relationships. And so many times, this is the deal breaker for a lot of couples because it's become about me and they're not doing enough for me and on and on it goes. And then there's the headlines and I get so tired of the headlines. I won't even mention a certain quarterback and his wife who are going through apparently at least a rumored divorce and we've seen the headlines, and we see these ridiculous sometimes uh, relationships among these celebrities, and it comes down to a divorce court, and usually what is stated is irreconcilable differences. And so many times, someone along the way, or both of them somewhere along the way, were like two leeches, as Dr. Jim Berg would say, two leeches on a dog, and then they get married and they become two leeches with no dog and they leech off of each other and they're both selfish and stuck on themselves and 
their relationship sours because they're always looking out for number one, numero uno. And we've seen this in friendships where someone becomes very selfish. It's disappointing sometimes when there's these cliques and these groups and certain people are, are pushed aside and left out. And there is a disregard for the needs of those other people. You're not good enough to be in my group. There's a unforgiving spirit. There's a bitterness, whatever it might be. And there's no sacrifice. And that splits churches. When there is a unwillingness to work things out, when there is an unwillingness to sacrifice and to give for one another, it will split churches. And there's evidence of that all across the land where church people, for, they, they forget or willingly forget or willingly choose to quit sacrificing for one another, to quit serving one another. And it results in a selfish congregation that eventually everybody's looking out for themselves and they group up and eventually they split the church. And what a harm that does to the testimony of Jesus Christ. What a reproach that brings upon the name of Christ. Why would any unsaved person want to be a part of a group of believers who call themselves Christians and they fight and they argue and they bite and they devour one another? And there's an unwillingness to serve and to sacrifice for one another. What a, what a shame when there's friendships that are broken because of an unwillingness to sacrifice. And then we see a strengthening in their relationship. 1 Samuel 19 and verse 2, But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, seeketh to kill thee. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take heed to thyself unto the morning, and abide in a secret place, and hide thyself. Chapter 23 and verse number 16. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David into the wood and strengthened his hand in God. Oh, we need relationships like that. The best friendships are the ones that strengthen our hand in God, that strengthen us in our walk with the Lord. The best friends I have had in my life have challenged me in my walk with the Lord, have pointed me to Christ, have helped me in my walk with the Lord. I remember a, being a junior in high school and having to break from a certain group of friends. And I basically became a loner in my class because I didn't watch certain kinds of TV shows. I wouldn't go to certain places. I wouldn't participate in certain activities. And I wouldn't listen to Pink Floyd and ACDC and Rolling Stones and all that other garbage and trash. And I wanted nothing to do with that. And I was, for the most part, a loner. And I end up sitting at the lunch table with a group of junior hires. And my friends made fun of me and they mocked me. And I just got to the point where I didn't care anymore. But I had to make the choice. I was going to have to be around people who strengthened me in my relationship with the Lord. And those classmates were not helping me in my walk with the Lord. They were tearing me down. They were taking me to thoughts and to ideas and telling stories and making fun of things and saying things and sometimes being downright cruel. And I had enough. And then the movie choices, the entertainment choices. And I remember the conversation with my mom and dad. I remember just being so lonely and being so upset and just, God, what am I going to do? I'm in a Christian school and none of my classmates even want to be around me anymore. And there's something wrong with me. And I had to do obviously some self-inspection. But my mom and dad said, you're Number one relationship that is going to help you the most is going to be your relationship with God. 
I can still see my mom and dad in that conversation and how they pointed me to the Lord. And they said, you are going to have to work on your relationship with God. That is what is going to carry you through this. And God restored some of those friendships. And even years later, some of those relationships got restored. And I'm thankful for that. But sometimes we have to walk alone. Sometimes we just have to stand up for what is right. And we need friendships that will strengthen us in our relationship with God. I'm so thankful for friendships. And especially in college, as I got into college and got into seminary. And I mean, preacher friends and some of whom I call to this day, and, and Pastor Arrowwood, and, and, and so many, Pastor Wayne, I got to see Pastor Wayne Joyner and, uh, recently, and just, you know, those kinds of friends that are just such a blessing, some of whom are mentors, and that strengthening of our hands in the Lord. And then there's a delight, a delighting, a friendship that brings delight. And again, delight in the right way. First Samuel 19 and verse 2, but Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, seeketh to kill thee. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take heed to thyself unto the morning, and abide in a secret place, and hide thyself. We see he delighted much in David. You know, isn't it, isn't it great when someone takes interest in us, takes interest in our things, takes interest in what goes on in our life, and we love that. We're so thankful for that. And we are so appreciative of that. Are we in turn being that kind of a friend to others? He who hath friends must show himself friendly, we read in the book of Proverbs. And sometimes our biggest problem, I know I mentioned it this morning, sometimes our biggest problem is getting out and going out of our way to minister to someone else. How many times I remember being told growing up, and I've told my own kids, and I've tried to encourage this and, and with others, even in our own church family. Look around. Is there someone that we haven't taken time to get to know and to meet? Every single one of us has a story. Every single one of us has something that we can share about how God has worked in our life. Have we taken time to get to know that, about that person? There's been people in our congregation recently who have been saved, who have trusted Christ as their Savior. There's people who have gone through difficult times and they've received a card or they've received a phone call or a text. And we have been very good, and you've been a very good church at encouraging one another and reaching out to one another. But it's something that I always feel like we can do better, that I can do better. Because sometimes we do forget, we get busy or we miss out and we get so self-focused. And it's such a wonderful joy when we have a friendship where there is a genuine real interest in my life from someone coming and showing an interest in who I am and where I came from and what I'm doing and what's going on in my life. And we have to do that to others as well. And I know we can have a common bond. I joke around. My, my, my kids, they, they get after me sometimes because I'll see a guy with a San Francisco Giants hat on at a store. And I will just walk right up to them and I'll say, nice hat. And sometimes they're looking at me like I'm funny because they don't even realize the, the hat that they're wearing. But sometimes it sparks a, a, a conversation. And we have something in common. They're a, they're a Giants fan. And sometimes it gets into, a, oh, I'm from the Bay Area. Are you from the Bay Area? And we start talking about things. We have those kinds of common bonds. But our relationships as Christians have got to get beyond the sports teams and the weather and what's the latest fashion style or whatever. I mean, those, those things are fine. That's good for conversation. But our relationships have to go beyond that. 
We're to be provoking one another to love and to good works. And we're to be iron sharpening iron. And it's good for us to delight in someone else and to show interest in their life. That's part of a, a good friendship, a godly friendship. And then we see defending and protecting. And we don't have time to read all of these verses. We've read some of them already. We see Jonathan defending David against his father in 1 Samuel 19, verses 4 through 6, even to the point where he warns David about coming back to the king's table. David had already had a, a spear thrown at him. And then we see in 1 Samuel 20, verses 9 through 16, uh, we see again Jonathan protecting David. And then down in verses 27 through 32 of 1 Samuel 20, we see Jonathan going out of his way to help David and to protect him and to warn him and to defend him and to protect him. And you know what? Sometimes our spouse, especially our wives, men, there's something about a female intuition, isn't there? There's something about it. And sometimes they're just like, you know what? That lady or that situation or that particular conversation or that particular situation there that you're thinking about, um, have you thought about it this way before? Or, um, honey, um, look, look out for, for that woman. Uh, I, I just don't trust her. She gives me the heebie-jeebies. When, when, when she says that, guys, listen, we have to. And when there's, and I know sometimes, again, this is not a chauvinistic statement, but sometimes uh, women are controlled by emotion, and sometimes the, the, the woman needs the man's logical, rational deduction as the woman pours out the emotion. And that's, again, why God gave us that relationship and marriage. And we need both eyes to gain peripheral vision and perspective and depth perception. And in a marriage, two eyes, husband and wife, that relationship is so important for helping defend and protect us, even spiritually. And it's not just, you know, the kid running out in the street and the husband is oblivious to it. And the mom, she's got that, you know, eyes in the back of her head. And she realizes where the kids are at all times, you know. And sometimes we as husbands, we're like, oh, I don't know, Johnny, I want to see this count number of kids we have. And she's, she's got it all figured out. You know, women have this multitasking ability uh, that we as men, we can't even find the milk in the refrigerator sometimes. Or the hot dogs that were right there in front of us. Um, or whatever it is that they, they tell us to go looking for. You know, it's so important that we have those relationships, and our friends sometimes do that. Again, I've said it uh, already in here, but we, we sometimes have to have someone step into our life who in genuine love, and, and sometimes it's done well and sometimes it's not done well, but sometimes we have to have a careful warning, or we have to have somebody bring something up that helps us, that helps us see something that we hadn't seen before. We all have blind spots. And we sometimes need that. If you've ever driven a big bus or a truck or a trailer, anything that has an extra length to it, you know what I mean about blind spots. And then sometimes they have those little extra mirrors. I remember driving a bus, learning to drive a bus, and I was so thankful for those extra mirrors. But you still, even though you have those extra mirrors, you're still looking again. And as you're getting over, you're looking again and teaching uh, my children how to drive. Um, I'm not going to pick on the one that's learning right now, but you'll probably figure out who that is. And uh, teaching him to, to, you know, to look at different things all at the same time. And we need those friendships that help us. I think of a friend, that, that friend I was talking about, who we can spend two or three hours on the phone together. 
so many conversations through the years where he helped shed light on a pers- uh, give me perspective, shed light on something. Pastor Arrowwood was so good about this and helping us to see uh, different things and helping me in my own relationship and in the ministry. And so thankful that God gives us these kinds of friendships. Finally tonight, just a quick uh, few points, four quick points here about why are strong God-honoring friendships sometimes so rare in our culture today? Why? Why can they, why can they be so hard? Okay, these are just four or five. I said four, actually five uh, quick statements. Well, in our world today, relationships more and more are seen as utilitarian. In other words, we focus on what I can get out of this relationship, what's in it for me. And that's where a lot of our relationships are at in an internet-saturated culture, in a me-first, autonomous, bodily autonomy and expressive individualism and all the different ways we can describe our me-first culture. We focus on what I can get out of this relationship. What money can I get sometimes in a relationship? I've known people in the ministry. I was warned both in college and by Pastor Defoe when I came on staff your church members are not to be your marketing scheme, your marketing group, so that you can sell stuff. And Kelly is not going to get a um, essential oils club or a pampered chef club or a lotion or what are those candles, Yankee candles. Or She's not going to have a club like that and try to sell you stuff, and then her relationship with you or my relationship with you is based on how many Yankee candles you buy or how many essential oils you buy. We have to be very careful about that. I'm so thankful I got trained and I was taught uh, to be careful. I've known men in the ministry who have lost their ministry because it became about either them or their wife. I know one who has not even gone to the mission field who said at one time he was called, but because he is making or his wife is making so much money with one of these side jobs, they're not even going to the mission field now. So dangerous sometimes. And we get into utilitarian types of relationships where it's about image, it's about status, it's about the the physical, it's about popularity, how many likes and follows or followers. And then we bully and manipulate. People are a means to an end. We bulldoze over people. We bully, we manipulate We step all over people on our way up, and people just become something that we walk all over, that we use, and uh, we use people so often instead of loving people like we should. And then we want to win instead of edify. We lose friendships. We lose relationships sometimes because we just have to win the argument. We have to win it every time at all costs because I am going to prove that you are wrong and I am right especially when I can get on the internet and I can just spew inflammatory things and post them and really let you know. And then there's the, the uh, confederacy that comes sometimes in, in churches where groups of people get together and they group up against and they start a mutiny. You know, and we can become about winning in our relationships instead of about edifying, instead of about encouraging and helping and building and learning from one another. And then we also let each other down. Sometimes relationships are broken simply because we let each other down. We're human. Sometimes it's just, it's sin. It's a violation of that trust. It's a breach of that trust. Sometimes it's broken promises. 
Sometimes it's offenses that don't get taken care of, or it's unforgiveness, bitterness. Sometimes it's a lack of love, or a lack of patience, or a lack of long-suffering, all of which contribute to these things. And so now there's such a distrust in our culture for institutions, for leadership, for people. We can become cynical. We can become cynical about everybody and everything. And the only one that's doing right all the time is me. I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm doing just fine. All of you have got all the problems. I mean, that's the attitude in our culture now, because it's, I, it's my truth. I define truth for myself, and it destroys relationships, and it destroys institutions. Why else? We don't walk with God like we should. How did David and Jonathan grow in their relationship together, in their friendship? They grew in their relationship with God. They strengthened each other in God. And many times friendships break down, relationships don't work because there's no walk with God. Or one person is walking with God and they're trying to drag someone else along and it just doesn't work. And then sometimes it's just rudeness or offensive ways that don't get fixed. Or sometimes it's a social thing. Sometimes we're just, we don't even realize it. We don't realize what we're doing. And sometimes we have to understand and we have to look in the mirror and we have to realize maybe it's something I'm doing. Again, I go back to school and I think of uh, being a principal and those parents who would come in and little Johnny, he was perfect. He was a little angel. I mean, he was angelic. Nowhere, but nowhere in the classroom. You couldn't sit little Johnny anywhere in the classroom where he didn't get in trouble. But it was always little Matthew it was always little Mark. It was always little Luke or little John, the other, the other John in the classroom, right? It was always somebody else. And I remember telling uh, a parent, and I told teachers this many a time, there's not enough corners in the classroom to put the student. You run out of four, after four corners, you run out. What's the common denominator? That student. There's something that student is doing. I remember having conversations with parents sometimes, and they were completely oblivious to the social frog types of behavior that they were doing. There was one young man growing up who picked his nose and ate it regularly, sucked his thumb even as an adult in church services. You couldn't tell him. He would get mad at you and he would prove that you were wrong and give you five reasons why and four articles that he had researched. Okay? And I've met people like that. I know a group of guys that got a guy and they shoved him into the shower with his clothes on and turned the shower on because he wouldn't take a shower and he wouldn't put deodorant on. But everybody else was the problem. Everybody else was out to get him. And many times when everybody is out to get me, maybe I need to look at myself and I need to say, hmm, maybe I'm part of the problem here. Maybe everybody's out to get me because I'm doing something that I need to change, I need to fix. And so there's ways in which we ruin relationships, we break friendships uh, because of these things. And again, uh, this is not intended to be a, a beatdown in any way, just uh, some thoughts uh, that we can learn from David and Jonathan that, that help us. And may we have the good, godly, quality friendships that God wants us to have. We'll pray, and then I'm excited. We have three prospective church members that uh, we are, Lord willing, going to vote on tonight and uh, see join our church and uh, this is this is exciting for our church but let's pray and then we'll introduce those after we sing our, our closing song let's pray lord we thank you for 
all that you've done for us. Thank you for good, godly friendships. May we be the kinds of friends to others that we should be. And Lord, may we be blessed with good, godly friendships. Lord, I pray that you will help us to love one another. Grow our church, Lord. Grow us in love for one another and our knowledge of you and our love for you. And then, Lord, may we see others uh, join and serve alongside uh, with us, Lord, to your glory, to your honor, and to your praise. We thank you for these who are coming for membership today. We pray that you'll bless them as they give their testimonies in Jesus' name.